Resilience research has been going on for decades and surged after World War II. With the focus on resilience after crises, we can better understand what makes us vulnerable or strong when faced with adversity. We have been deep in this global pandemic that has tested the resilience of all areas of our lives, from finances, relationships, health, coping, to even just facing ourselves. We have been confronted. There is no better time to midwife our sacred stories as anecdotal evidence to uncover resilience strategies in the studies of our lives. Storytelling transforms polarization to compassion. A story opens hearts, empowers, and inspires. It sparks hope and deepens wisdom. We are the hypothesis, the research, and the answer. Shared stories are the universal medicine in our journey toward collective optimal resilience. I bring to you the I Am Resilient podcast. The I Am Resilient podcast brings you stories of resilience, research, and insights from across the globe with the goal to educate people about resilience so that they can cultivate resilience consciously and overcome life's challenges to live with meaning, purpose, and strength. Welcome to the podcast. a new tool to improve your life and your chances of having resilience in the future, stay tuned. So welcome Maddie to the I Am Resilient podcast. This is your second time being on the podcast mm-hmm. and today we are sharing a very sacred, transformative and completely accessible tool that we have both come to find valuable and that is self-compassion. So we both tuned into these practices and kind of held on tightly and we feel very passionate to share, especially with the way the world is right now. So I'm just hoping you will be able to start us off and tell us what exactly is self-compassion. Just a really big umbrella term, I guess. Um, Yeah, I think it can be um, or like show up in your life externally or internally in so many different ways. Um, But one of the kind of phrases that I've always, I guess, resonated with um, is like being your own best friend. Mm. So, um, you know, we tend to talk very negatively to ourselves, that inner dialogue, um, our self-critic. We're really not often that nice to ourselves in our heads. Mm. Um, And one thing that I always kind of come back to is like, how would I be talking to a friend right now? How would I be talking to a loved one or someone that I care about in this situation? And it's a really great tool I've found to um, kind of snap you out of that spiral of self-depreciation or just, um, I guess, like a pessimistic view and just like hold that compassion and patience and acceptance for yourself in the hard times, the good times and everything in between. Um, Yeah, it's a pretty big um, 
I don't know, term, I guess you would call it, yeah. but um, it's so powerful. That's so, it's so beautifully put because I think one thing that comes to mind when we talk about self-compassion is the word itself is very easy to brush off. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, I found Kristen Neff's book called Self-Compassion. I think it was written in 2008. I could be wrong. I found it in a park in a free library last summer. And I read the practices at the back of the book. And I closed the book Mm -hmm. and never opened it again. And I recently came (laughs) back to it, you know, before this conversation. And since then, my my research and my obsession with this practice has become so overwhelming because it is so much more than what it sounds. And I do believe that it is the key to unlocking um, resilience. And one thing mm-hmm. that has come up again and again on the podcast when we ask people what they think the world needs, most people mention something about compassion or self-compassion. And mm-hmm. so you pointed out, you know, self-criticism. And mm-hmm. I, I know self-criticism and shame are the opposite of self-compassion. But um, how do you think we can kind of usher in the urgency when we hear other people, you know, having this self-criticism or being really hard on themselves or condemning themselves? How can we bring in self-compassion without sounding soft and fluffy and and sounding like it's something they should brush off Mm -hmm. um yeah I mean that tool that I had mentioned of like talking to yourself as your best friend has I've noticed um in my counseling practice and just with people in my life that's like a great one to kind of snap us out and Mm -hmm. it isn't super light and fluffy because we all I think know on a deep level what it's like to talk to someone we care about that's struggling or needing that compassion in their life Mm -hmm. so I think that's one great way um and then really something I've struggled with and continue to struggle with um is this idea of self-compassion being really hard to embrace when you've spent a lot of your life being self-critical or being around by people that are critical of themselves or others. Um, it's, it's really, it can feel kind of this like unicorn mystical thing of, of self-compassion. Like I understand what that term means, but how do I embrace it? Mm. And so I think conversations like this is a great way to break apart those like, oh, wow, I have shame. I have resistance. I have whatever lived experiences I come with that makes self-compassion really difficult at times. And what are the ways that I, as a unique individual, can start to bring in those pieces of caring for myself in a, a way that might feel really foreign and uncomfortable in the beginning. Mm, wow. It reminds me of just the level of intimacy required. You know, when we connect mm-hmm. with a friend, there's this level of intimacy when they're vulnerable that we have with mm-hmm. them. And when we connect to ourselves, we require breaking down those barriers to intimacy with the self and mm-hmm. that can be yeah scary and mystical seeming and <laughs> new and foreign but I wanted to know what brought you to self-compassion 
Oh, sheesh. So actually very funny that you mentioned Kristen Neff and that book and finding it. I, my own counselor, um, is always on me about not being so compassionate to myself <laughs> and encouraged me to get Kristen Neff's uh, more recent book, Fierce Self-Compassion. Uh... And I purchased it in January um, and it's been sitting on my shelf since and something just shifted in the last few weeks where I was like, I need to read that book now. So I'm not completely through it, but this idea of um, needing self-compassion in my life really arose when I experienced a lot of difficulties um, in life transitions and loss and grief um, and a loss of identity in um, the beginning of the, this year. Mm. Um, and the only, I didn't have the usual things to hold on to that made me feel grounded, that made me feel worthy. And I had to lean into this kind of idea that, okay, well, I at least have to love myself through this. I at mm. least need to show myself compassion through this. And it was so uncomfortable like I would sit and meditate and um my body would be like like trying to get away almost like it would be Mm. fidgety and um and it would be really painful too like I think something that we expect when we are going into more like compassionate practices is that it's going to feel really good and it actually doesn't it's a little bit of that it gets worse before it gets better. Um, uh, yeah. And one of the um, parts in the book that I'm reading, Fierce Self-Compassion, is it talks a little bit about the backdraft that happens. So um, I'm just going to see if I can find it. But essentially, um, we, when we don't have that um, regular practice of self-compassion, we don't know what it's like to be compassionate to ourselves. Sometimes we can experience a backdraft and Kristen Neff kind of relates it to um, when firefighters are going into a fire that when they open the door, sometimes with the, with the oxygen inside, it can like bring a rush of igniting flames towards them. And so she quotes, if we had to tightly shut the doors of our hearts to deal with early childhood pain, when we start to open our hearts the fresh air of love comes in, bringing awareness to the suffering trapped inside. This can sometimes burst out in disturbing ways and become overwhelming. Mm. And I think that just really beautifully captures my personal experience with it and something that maybe we need to remind people when they are exploring self-compassion because right away it might not feel good, but to go through it and continue is such an important and powerful experience. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I recently heard somebody say love reveals everything that is not love or that Mm. wasn't loved or where we Mm -hmm. feel like we deserved love. And um, it's so true. It's almost like having compassion for the self. Um, It actually deepens things. And I find even in some therapy or some practices, there's a level of labeling and acknowledging, which is great when you're trying to accept something, mm-hmm. but it also can create this distance from it. So 
when we say, oh, I'm just feeling anxious or depressed, it's almost like we can move on from there when Mm -hmm. sometimes there's more depth that can be explored and worked through. Um, And I think self-compassion brings that, but you're right. It can feel really uncomfortable and it requires so much courage to sit with those things Mm -hmm. and to actually allow the self to feel the love seep into those spaces that need it and the Mm -hmm. love from the self. And yeah, I, that discomfort you describe, I definitely find when working with self-compassion in the moment, that discomfort is, wow, so unbearable. It's almost like watching a baby trying to walk for the first time. It's like frustrating (laughs) and their legs are wiggly and they're they're doing the opposite of what they would normally do. And Mm -hmm. that's how I feel. But it's so transformative because that's where real change happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. So I know Kristen points out the three components of self-compassion are self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one part you came to more easily than other parts or one part that you have found more challenging? Or is it all kind of one big self-compassion soup that you practice <laughs> <laughs> as you go through life? Yeah, um, I mean, I think I'm definitely in the soup, Um, and some (laughs) days there's more accessibility to parts than others. I think the real challenge that I and I think many of us have been experiencing in the last few years is that common humanity and like connection um, that is not as accessible Mm. uh, for various reasons, and So that was really challenging for me and still is to find people that are experiencing the challenges in a similar way that I am so that I don't feel like I'm the only human in the world that's experiencing these feelings as well as that support network. Um, And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the world that don't know how to be uh, like compassionate to themselves, me included Mm. at times. Um, So sometimes it can be really challenging to connect with others when you're trying to embrace these new ways of thinking and reframing old habits and beliefs, but the people around you are still stuck in those modes of thinking. Mm, And this is not to be judgmental at all. It's just, it's almost like when you start to notice the the inner workings of your own mind, it starts to highlight in the world around you. I'm like, oh, wow, that person commented on their body this way. Like I used to mm-hmm. talk about my body that way, or I have to still challenge those thoughts and they're in it. And just, it really highlights, I guess, maybe the distance between mm-hmm. others at times um, in that if you want to call it a healing journey. Um, So sometimes the common humanity piece, I feel like is harder to grasp onto the mindfulness, I can, I can practice that on my own. That's such an internal um, uh, and intimate experience, I find, but the common Mm -hmm. humanity, I really notice a challenge with. Yeah, you know, you brought up such a good point. Because I mean, if we think systemically, we see the um, widening gap of 
equality. And it doesn't just Mm -hmm. refer to people's economic standpoint. It also refers to people's inner landscape. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when these people who are self-critical, which is at times most of us because the way our brain is wired to pick Mm -hmm. out issues and problems, when these people are alone of time it just and they continue on the trajectory they're on of self-destruction and shame it just continues that way and unless you're lucky like you know you or I who have come across self-compassion work or you have a teacher or somebody pointed out to you you often won't find that growth and so I think this really highlights the separation and the way that we are we can be moving in opposite directions as we move through this world that is currently really isolated Um, Mm -hmm. and isolation and silencing ourselves, you know, is a a prerequisite to anxiety and depression. So, Mm -hmm. so it really puts people at risk and we really see the difference and what you talk about, um, about the change in inner landscape when you're doing this work, and really seeing other people who are self-condemning about body image, I see the exact same thing. And Mm -hmm. in one way, it's really heartbreaking to hear that from other people. But in another way, it almost makes me want to fix it. I want tools to help Mm -hmm. them fix it. But but to say practice self-compassion, it's just like when we found those books and we put them on the shelf. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yes. perhaps some people will come around to it, but, but at the same time, I think that support is needed and sort of the culture change and the normalization of. Mm-hmm. I think like we've kind of talked about self-compassion is, is very foreign to a lot of people or people think, Oh, I'm compassionate to myself. Like, you know, I'm, I'm nice, but then Mm. it's because we've been socialized to talk to ourselves this way or talk to others this way, um, that we don't even see the ways that we are acting out of pain, shame, all of those critical roots. Um, I think also the gender piece that comes into play can, can be really, um, interesting um and Kristen speaks about this how um men are actually it's easier for for them to be more Mm self-compassionate than women and I think that that comes from our like gender socialization a lot of um those pieces and stereotypes of what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man and she talks about it in this yin and yang metaphor Mm. um that she then translates to having tender self-compassion which is more of the the yin qualities and the fierce self-compassion um and i really love that she's separated those two as qualities that we like to be whole we need both the tenderness and the fierceness Mm. um because one of the things that i think a lot of people including myself again struggle with is that well if I'm compassionate to myself am I gonna lose my motivation am Mm -hmm. I going to become lazy or complacent um passive all of those things like well if I'm too nice to myself I won't improve Mm -hmm. I guess yeah Yeah, and 
I'm curious to know if how you would um, practically practice those differently. Um, well, as she references in her book, the tender, the tenderness is a bit more of that intimate um, work that you do with yourself um, mm. and maybe the close people in your life. And that fierceness is almost, I think of it as like the, the self-advocate or she calls it like the mama bear approach. Mm, um, I love so that. It's that. Yeah. It's that kind of like um, that fire that ignites within you when there's, you notice a disparity in the world or um, there's like a social justice um, issue that you're really passionate about. Um, you're standing up for yourself. You're protecting yourself. Um, and without the tenderness, um, we may get trapped in more of like an aggressive way to be fierce. Mm. And so when we hold the tenderness, we are like kind of that mama bear mentality of that protector. We're protecting ourselves. We're setting boundaries. We're being fierce, but in a tender way. And I think that that's helped me shift my perspective because you you would become, I believe, a bit more passive or complacent if you're only in the tenderness. We need that fire to be ignited. We need that passion to come come through and be excited and have that kind of more extreme energy come through. And then when we are needing that kind of tune in and and that holding of ourselves, that's when the tenderness comes through. Mm, I love the way you said that. And you know, it's so funny because the more I practice self-compassion, the more I think, you know, I could have just been a monk this whole time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it it is. It, that yin energy can get so strong and it feels so good mm-hmm. to to hold the self in the suffering mm-hmm. and hold the self in you know, whatever is coming, but it also is hard to stand up at that point to things that, you know, perhaps are going in your life that need that young energy. So I can Mm -hmm. really appreciate that fierceness. And I also can understand that it would probably be, I mean, I haven't read about this, so you'll have to tell me what you think, but to have the fierce self-compassion, but not to overstep, like you said, becoming aggressive or even just closing off to Mm -hmm. something that is, you know, like creating a little too much of a boundary or a barrier to communication or love or um, new possibility like that, that must be really hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I really connected with that comparison of the yin and the yang, because the goal is to find balance and harmony in those two dualities. Um, And so when one is, and there's always going to be times where maybe we do need a little bit more tenderness or we do need a little bit more fire. Um, But then to come back to that balanced nature and that flow so that we can move through that flute with fluidity. Mm. Um, She speaks to struggling with her anger as a woman, women, traditionally are not supposed to be seen as angry right right that's our societal idea anger is bad in a woman um and so she had a lot of shame around that and so for her to reframe it into instead of being angry maybe I'm actually just standing up for myself and having Mm -hmm. boundaries and caring for myself 
And that's something that I think we, uh, as women, can really struggle with at times is because we don't want to be appear, like, appear to be aggressive or um, bitchy, I guess, yeah. is a big one, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so how can we move fluidly through those when you have that gut instinct of like, whoa, I actually need to say something right now. I need to stand up for myself, my friend, this, this issue in the world. I need to ignite that fire and protect um, and when is it that was those moments when, you know, you're like, actually, this is not worth my energy. This is not helpful for me or for others around me, for me to be in, involved. I'm going to step back and care for myself. Mm. Um, and she also talked about self-compassion being a little bit easier to understand in, in an external way of like how you're compassionate to others or how that, that fierce compassion shows up in the external ways, um, but also the internal ways. And I love how she talks about like, we can be our own worst enemy or our own bully. And so when we actually are holding fierce self-compassion within ourselves, we're telling that self-critic, no, you're not, we're not listening to you today. Like, thank you for being here, but actually we're going <laughs> to move on. And, ah. and so this like internal dialogue of, of um, fierce self-compassion is really beautiful how she depicts it in this like bully mentality oh that's so true turning it inwards because Mm -hmm. it's almost like the inner self-critic or the shadow or whoever it is um, Mm -hmm. is just waiting for opportunity and I know in a lot of the Buddhist talks that I listen to they say you know a still mind is like an open door like opportunity for this shadow or this inner critic to come in and and be loud Mm -hmm. and we need that fierceness that discernment that Mm -hmm. acknowledgement that no no that is that is me that's part of me that's speaking to myself but it's not Mm -hmm. it's kind of irrelevant in some ways Um, Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating and it's not necessarily questioning the self it's just being discerning and understanding that some of our thoughts are not productive and um, not serving us in any way. Yeah. And we all have them. And in some therapeutic modalities, those are our protectors. So then it's, it's this, again, fluidity and ebb and flow of saying no to that bully or that shadow or that part of ourselves that is trying to beat us down. But at the same time, holding compassionate that it's there because at one point in our life, it helped us survive. It helped protect us. It, it was that flight or fight response of like assessing danger. And so in integrated family systems theory, we all have these array of parts living inside of us and those or those shadows, if you want to call them that and especially when you start to do your inward journey of self-compassion meditation those shadows show up and get big and loud and want Mm. to take up space because we've suppressed them for so long and it's one of my teachers has explained it as like okay how can I invite this part of me to tea how can I go and sit and have tea with this part of me that 
either I have held a lot of hatred and resentment for or is not very kind to me and Mm -hmm. how can we sit and have tea together and try to find some some understanding and some compassion because it's not this us or them mentality that's happening within us all of those parts are us and so we need to find a way to integrate them in a sense and and hold space for them when when they're loud and be compassionate of like wow I understand that at one point in my life I really needed you to be angry and loud and and crazy or whatever we want to call it (laughs) and now as an adult in the space that I'm in we're actually okay like you you can take a break you're good Mm. so I really love that analogy too um or kind of imagining them as like kids that are having tantrums inside of you. And you cannot tell a child that is having a tantrum to be quiet. That will make them louder. So how (laughs) can you sit on the floor and be with those parts of you that are having a tantrum and show them the love and and space for them to express themselves? Mm, Wow. It is so powerful to hear you say that because – I do. I mean, when I'm not practicing this and my shadow starts to come up, I do feel like that person that just wants to be heard, that child. (laughs) And I'm sure a tantrum for on many days is right around the corner. And it, it's almost that, um, that seven-year-old that looks around at their environment and they see threat or, you know, Mm -hmm. a child under the age of seven. And then if they don't have those secure attachments in their life, they continue to see the world as something that is threatening they need to find safety from and they could be defensive and carry that with them throughout the rest of their lives. So Mm -hmm. I almost feel like a lot of the people we're facing right now are not just defensive, um, wounded, sort of inner children that are coming out, but they're also hypervigilant because of the trauma of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like the only way to communicate with people is through the utmost sincere compassion because Mm -hmm. people feel so unsafe and um and when we're compassionate we're inviting this sense of safety and so I think self-compassion really opens some safety for ourselves to explore and then you know compassion for other people really invites safety in our environment and I think that alone can transform so much, you know, communication and we can make effective decisions and changes in the world. And um, yeah, I just think that it is so profound to see the benefits of this practice and where it can go and how we can do the work on such a small scale in our own lives or even our own minds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think to add on to what you were saying about um, being genuinely compassionate to others that are maybe not always showing up in the nicest ways because Mm -hmm. we're under so much stress. We've literally been in a collective traumatic experience for the last, what, two and a half years? I've lost track of time. Yeah, me too. (laughs) um, I think the other thing that I notice is the first step in, in, in supporting those around to bring in more self-compassion and compassion for others is just modeling that permission 
giving that permission to, wow, you could say that in a, a kinder way to yourself or um, what would it be like to, to remember that you're human like, and that what you're experiencing right now is totally okay. Like, what would it be like to, to hold that permission for ourselves to have those tantrums and, and feel like we're falling apart? And then how can I, I think that once we have that permission, we can move more deeply into exploring self-compassion. It's mm-hmm. almost like that parent and inner child relationship again, like you said, that hypervigilance, we're all on, on guard right now. We've lost that sense of control that we all crave as human beings. And now someone is walking around us uh, saying, actually, you can be just the way that you are right now. It's like, whoa, I, I can? Like, mm-hmm. you're giving me that permission to like, maybe not be okay today. That percent today is not what it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that can help us really move towards opening to the self-compassion practices. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you, you make me think about how important it is to let go of expectations, because it's Mm -hmm. almost the expectations we have for ourselves, that can catapult us so quickly into shame and self criticism and self destruction and isolation, because we're not showing up as we how we think we are, or Mm-hmm. how we think that we should be or how we used to show up. And the truth is, is that we are evolving and we are moving in, in an uncertain world. So we don't have to show up the same way as before. And we actually might be better not to show up that way. Mm-hmm. We actually might be able to create better systems and show up the way that we are. So that's self-acceptance and acceptance of whatever emotions arise, I think is so beautiful and imagine if people expressed their emotions as they were you know and were really true about them and if mm-hmm. we're true about our emotions I, I think typically they're not destructive uh, when mm-hmm. we express them when we learn to express them in a non-destructive way and they are they are the emotions that are you know deep inside us if we all showed up in that way it would invite so much intimacy and healing and perhaps that's you know where we're going I really hope so (laughs) because (laughs) man is it lonely when you are starting to do all of these new practices and reframing and it's almost like this rebirth and then you're walking around in a world where you're like wait am I and not to sound self-righteous but am I the only one that's doing this like Mm -hmm. no one else is doing this work and it's, it creates that distance that I had mentioned again, where you're like, I'm so ready to just be this little raw, open heart. Mm. And the world is not ready for that to happen. And yeah. so going back to that, that aspect of self-compassion with the hum- common humanity can be really tricky, I think, because once you start to have those practices of mindfulness and self-compassion, um, you kind of just want to live in it all the time because once you've crossed that threshold of, whoa, this is uncomfortable, you can see how it's almost like breathing again for the first time. You're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't have to have, like you said, all these ridiculous expectations 
that I, that don't even really resonate or come from me. There are all these external messages that we have. And so when I have practiced meditation in the morning and then if I have to go out and run an errand, I'm it's quite jarring sometimes to be like, oh, right we're like the world is still really struggling and we haven't adopted this importance of self-compassion and um, rest and um, all of these other ways that I think will really propel the world into more healing that we so desperately need. You're so right. And yeah, being sort of more isolated than usual I don't know if you're feeling this way, but I definitely feel this crave, this hunger and desire to connect with mostly people that are on the same path as me because Mm -hmm. it can be so strange to be doing this work and prioritizing this common humanity and this collective healing and then to go and talk about, you know, something that's so superficial or even destructive Mm -hmm. to humanity. It just feels so strange. And maybe that is, you know, the moral compass getting stronger because we are more tuned into what's actually needed for ourselves and one another. And, you know, maybe that comes back to the fierce self-compassion. Maybe it is stewarding ourselves toward a healthier life. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, to be really inclusive um, and to be in those spaces that feel jarring and uncomfortable is very challenging because like you said, the world is not right now a compassionate place. I I look at some of the political discussions that are happening and I'm just so in awe of the communication and the lack of communication skills. It's like they are those seven-year-old tantruming children, (laughs) but they're on a podium. And um, it's just amazing that our leaders have risen to this space and have lost their self-control and, and, you know, their virtuous ways of being. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, they need these practices as well. Yeah, and I think what you're noting too, which I want to speak to, is that this practice, um, I'm very mindful of the privilege I hold to be able to go into this work. Because Mm -hmm. like we had mentioned earlier, it brings up those shadows, those dark, scary parts. And there's some days where I'm like, I'm I'm just not going to tune in. I don't have the capacity right now. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have the support to do it. Um, and so it is such a privilege to be able to have the time, the, the access to information and learning and just the emotional capacity, um, to be able to go into that work because for many, many people, it does not feel safe to do that internal work. Um, and so I just want to note that I'm very aware of it and, like you had mentioned that there's these people in positions of power who are not using self-compassion. It can be very, very scary. And I think just keeps perpetuating these cycles of racism and sexism and all of the isms. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like when I look to our leaders, I would actually feel more comfortable if there were moments when they said, you know what? we just went through a pandemic and no one was prepared for it. And we actually 
don't know what we're doing. I would actually find some comfort in that because mm-hmm. it would make them more human. Mm-hmm. And, and in a sense of like, wow, I, I, we don't know what to do. And so let's collectively brainstorm instead mm-hmm. of I am in this position of power and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think we can look at these people and if they are tapping into their true feelings about what's going on, we can only imagine what's buried under there. And mm-hmm. I've said at times, you know, I feel really nervous for these people because they're receiving so much from their external environment and they're probably feeling so uncertain about their decisions. Yeah. And I really agree with you. It's almost like we need this collective debrief or this collective moment of just okay that was hard for everybody and how can we support each other and what's actually needed but um, I think when we bypass these moments for reflection we actually miss a great opportunity for not just healing but reassessment of what is needed for the future Mm-hmm. And we're at this huge, huge point where we have this opportunity to make these decisions, like, you know, implementing policies that are based on our common humanity and based on inclusivity and, and compassion. And mm-hmm. I think um, when we miss these opportunities, it's really easy to make poor decisions or decisions that lead us into things like you know, war or violence or Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, angry and petitioning in the streets because they're not being heard. It's Mm -hmm. everyone needs to be heard and and to sort of held through this. So I feel that collectively we're sort of in a very juvenile stage of (laughs) uh, humanity. (laughs) Yes. These practices that help us to nourish those juvenile states and and actually mature through trauma um Mm -hmm. so it's very very interesting isn't it yeah I mean I was just thinking as you were speaking like whoa we've gone in so many different directions in 42 minutes of (laughs) self-compassion discussion (laughs) because I think it, it just it bleeds into so many different aspects of our lives um this like this micro and then macro lens that um, self-compassion can be applied to and is so necessary, but it's very challenging when, well, I understand why, why we all hold on to control, especially when we feel like we've been thrown in so many different directions in the last Mm -hmm. few years. Um, But I really think that the silver lining, my hope through all of this is that we've, we've kind of thrown everything on the table, all of these challenges, these good pieces, these bad pieces. um, And we are trying to then sort out, okay, well, this didn't work. So do we have to do it in the same way that we've been doing you know, I, I'm just thinking, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but like the working from home aspect, like, do we have to work a nine to five in an office every single day? Or mm. what, where can we hold compassion for our employees to, you know, be with their families more or 
um, if there's chronic illness that they can, that there's a, adaptations that can be made. Um, I, I guess my hope in the realm of self-compassion is that we can reflect in this time to see where we can bring compassion into more spaces in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, whether it's, again, that internal exploration or as a collective. Mm -hmm. Because I think in so many ways, how the world has been operating has not been working. And mm -hmm. the universe is kind of like, all right, if you're not going to listen, we're going to make you listen. Mm -hmm. Climate change or um, violence and yeah, I could go on and on. <laughs> oh, you're so, you're so right. And when we practice self-compassion individually, we have chemicals in our brains that literally reward us for doing so. <laughs> like we all want to feel cared for and whether we're being cared for by somebody else or ourselves and having compassion, we release things like oxytocin. And mm -hmm. when we when we have a healthy brain and we have a healthy mindset, we're actually so much more productive and enthusiastic and effective in everything we're doing. So if we're experiencing all of these systemic issues of, you know, systems that are no longer working or no longer supporting individuals, such as maybe going into the office or working from 9am until 5pm um, on the clock, you know, how can we, yeah, like you said, lose, use compassion and support new systems to be made while maintaining this because our potential is limitless and mm -hmm. expansive and we have the tools to learn and grow in new ways we have you know access to free education on the internet and we are so privileged and how can we actually create systems that support um, optimizing our time and our growth and our productivity and our own health and well-being. So I think really self-compassion really helps us to tap into our strengths. And when we leverage our strengths, we really can do anything as a collective. Absolutely. And I think what you brought up um, around when we are holding compassion for ourselves we can kind of tune into to either ourselves, how can I function better? How can I thrive versus surviving in life? Um, and then those systems as well. How can, instead of just having our um, employees or um, government, like barely keeping it together, yeah. how can we yeah. like use these tools? We have so much access right now there's there's no need for us to be working in silos and working um in that kind of competitive nature because mm -hmm. that's one thing especially in um the mental health systems that i've always been so confused by is this almost competitive nature of and and that one one area or one system does not work with the others and it's like the most highest rates of burnout in the field of mental health. And what would it be like if we integrated services more and we had more voices at the table and we supported one another and also helped up a lot more compassion for ourselves doing the work because it's a lot. And currently our systems do not 
create compassionate, safe spaces for practitioners or clients for a lot of, in a lot of situations. And yeah, I just, it boggles my mind a little bit that, you know, 50 years ago, we, we wouldn't have all of the ex- like accessibility to tools and knowledge and worldwide voices. And we're still not really tapping into that. We're really just stuck still. Mm, yeah, you're so right. You're so right. It's almost like we don't know how to, even if we want new systems, we don't know how to, you know, dismantle the old systems properly. <laughs> yeah. like, there was a, yeah. there was no how to deconstruct the system guide. Um, but maybe, <laughs> maybe self compassion can help with that. Um, and I wanted to touch on, you know, the difference between self-compassion and pity. And you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, compassion involves connection. So I think by remembering our inherent goodness and remembering the ways in which we can connect with other people and, you know, remembering that we matter to other people and that other people matter to us, it can really mm-hmm. help with this process. And, um, and help us to create new systems. And yeah, when I think about making a plan, I know it's hard to visualize something and actually put it into action if we haven't been given any hope or any sliver of understanding of what that could be like. So I wonder if a lot of our job right now is to help people to paint of a more sustainable and more compassionate and more beautiful future so that we have a blueprint to move toward. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you come across any practices that do that? (sighs) Um, I wish I could just be like, yes, so many, but unfortunately, no. Um, I mean, I am currently taking my 200 hour yoga teacher training. Um, and I think for myself and my peers, the feeling of connection while trying something new and failing and relearning and learning and practicing is integral to being, um, able to be compassionate to ourselves and not let that pity or self-depreciation creep in because, Mm. um, one of the things that, I had mentioned earlier was this idea of like, well, if I'm compassionate to myself, I'm I'm just going to like let myself go. Or if I hold compassion for others, maybe it'll just, they'll walk all over me. And that's not actually what self-compassion is about, but what self-compassion is about. It's having those boundaries um, and, and actually through self-compassion, we are more likely to try new things and succeed and have motivation because if we're not so focused on the failing or how we would look if and appear to others or be judged by others for trying this new way, it's it, once we remove that, we can do whatever we want. Like it's, it's very Mm. freeing. And so I'm not sure I feel like I've gone on a little bit of a different tangent, but I think in regards to connection, almost like modeling, like if someone, if 
if I'm going to be the first person to be like, well, I'm going to try this new thing and I might fail Mm. and that's okay, but at least I'll try and I'll gain some knowledge from it. I think that can be a really good tool as, as we connect and, and maybe try and shift the collective. Mm, You know, that reminds me of, um, a mother looking at herself in a mirror, you know, at her image and her child, her little girl watching her and watching the way she looks at herself and the way she talks to herself. And Mm -hmm. just as, you know, critical moments are so contagious, so are moments of self-compassion when we see other people stewarding themselves and really giving Mm -hmm. themselves what they need and with love and care and and tuning in it's so beautiful and I think it's natural too it's just the culture we've maybe fallen into and co-created that drives us away from it so like you said modeling that self-compassion and catching ourselves when we're not and you know Mm -hmm. allowing for slips but coming back again and again to the intentional compassionate action and and voice toward ourselves is so powerful and I think if there's one thing we can all do it is practice this and you know become aware when when we're not practicing and ask ourselves okay what do we need to feel safe to be compassionate um Mm -hmm. oh that's so so transformative and beautiful and I'm just wondering do you have somebody in your life that practices self-compassion that you look up to in those ways or that you you look at and remember um to do your own practice um you know it's it makes me a little sad but no not right now um because I am around people that for generations have embodied that self-critic and so I guess, I mean, and not to say that there's not people in my life. I mean, like yourself, you're like, we, we talked about, we're both on this journey and it's not this, okay, I've made it. I'm self-compassionate and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like it is a constant, oh, wow, that wasn't a very nice thing to think about myself or Mm -hmm. I'm really slipping into those old habitual patterns and I don't need that. What, what do I need? Mm -hmm. Um, But really the the youth that I have worked with over the years are in a way those models or role models or inspiration for me because um they in some ways they look at me as their role model And that is a huge honor and a huge responsibility that I do not take lightly. And so I almost envision myself of like, oh, who would I, I guess what it is, is, is who would I want to look up to if I was eight years old again, or Mm. 12 years old again? Um, I guess I'm being a role model for my inner child right now. And then for Mm. the youth that I work with. Um, again, in that modeling way of like, absolutely not being perfect and (laughs) struggling Mm -hmm. and having tantrums still, and then continuing at the end of the day to tuck myself in with care and, Mm -hmm. you know, be, be that 
loving embrace to myself again. Um, because yeah, as, as beautiful as it is to have a role model, I think one of the prime things with self-compassion is that it's a journey for, for you and, and just you in many ways. Mm, Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had this thought that um, there's this huge movement in sort of, I, I would say on social media and in people's circles around spirituality and having guides and tapping Mm -hmm. into those guides or angels or whatever people want to call them or like to, you know, associate with them. And I've heard people say before that these guides are just ourselves in other dimensions. Mm -hmm. So it could be your younger self. um, It could be your, your older self talking to you now. And just the same as we do that inner child work where we go back to ourselves as children and we, we give ourselves what we need, the love and the care and the nurturing that we feel like we needed in hard moments. Um, people believe that our future selves in different lives can come back and do that for us. So part of me wonders if this movement of self-compassion is emerging in you know, on this realm and for people in their spiritual practice with their guides or their, you know, different selves. And I don't know really people's experiences, but I think it's really amazing that, that people are tapping into this in different ways and coming to the practice in different ways. Mm -hmm. I haven't really heard of it in that way before. And it's funny because as I, I'm like a little sponge right now for anything spiritual. <laughs> I've been like, why can't I figure out who my spiritual guides are? Like, who who mm. are they or who are my ancestors? And why can't I tap into this? And I'm always coming back to, like, it's not a destination. It's not mm-hmm. like checking things off the box. Like, this is a journey. And as long as I'm an open channel, what is meant for me will come to me. Mm. Um, but... I really like that idea of like, yes, of course you can have these guides or goddesses or deities or anything um, that can, that supports you and connects you back to yourself and your journey. I think that's very important. But again, coming back to this idea that we actually already have all the wisdom that we need in life within us. And so we, while our spirit, spirit guides or role models in life or teachers, peers are all helping us through this healing journey and and connection to self um, by, you know, inspiring us or bringing new ideas um, or insights. It's already in us. It's not Mm -hmm. this, I have to read this one book to learn how to do it. (laughs) And I have to catch Mm -hmm. myself constantly. I was like, okay, if I just read this theory, I'll completely understand it. And then I can embody it. No, I already know it. I just need to tap back into that intuition or like you're saying that spiritual aspect of my inner child or my future self, my wise self, my higher self. Um, I really like that idea. Mm, Wow. That reminds me of the Rumi quote. We're all just walking each other home. And whether it is our guides or our teachers or our mentors or our counselors or friends, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that, 
it's so beautiful that many people are coming to this universal truth that we need compassion. And, um, and if we practice more compassion, who knows what's around the corner for us? You know, the world is evolving so quickly and we have a huge part to play in it. We have so much we can do. Um, so Maddie, I noticed we're coming up on an hour and I just wanted to say thank you and give you an opportunity to share anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about and also share about where people can find you now. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure when the last time we spoke on the podcast was likely around six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, which it feels like much longer, but then also just yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah, I hold deep gratitude for, for you and to create spaces like this and anybody else that is um, creating spaces and conversations and dialogue around these topics, because I think the biggest thing with self-compassion or any practice is it is a practice. It is not something that we are going to, it's not a destination. We're not just going to upon it one day and Mm. it's, it's done. It is this constant learning, practicing, relearning, unlearning, all of these deep, deep rooted beliefs, um, and habits. So I just encourage anybody, um, that is listening right now to, you know, figure out what you're called to in the realm of self-compassion, because there's not one right way to do it. And I think the right way to do it is whatever you feel your whole self needs at that time. Um, and there's so many resources um, accessible um, to us right now, which is amazing and sometimes mm. overwhelming. So be patient and compassionate to yourself. <laughs> mm, Maddie, that's beautiful. And can you point to some of those resources? I will post them in the um, show notes. Um, mm-hmm. Where would you recommend people go for self-compassion resources? Um, I really love, as we've mentioned many times, Kristen Neff. Um, she's done a number of books and podcasts. I also really, really love Tara Brock. She does Uh, a number of podcasts. Um, one of the podcasts or types, um, of meditations, I should say, is a loving kindness or a meta meditation. And I would recommend that to anybody that's curious about these practices starting point and it's very easy to follow some of them are like five minutes you can youtube meta or uh, loving kindness meditations those are beautiful ways to reconnect um to compassion um and if i think of anything else i will let you know so wonderful Um, that is beautiful um how you can contact me so through the last six months, there's been many changes, but I'm very excited that in the next week or so, I'm going to be launching my business for connection. Um, and so the website is Crescent Moon Connections, and you can also find me on Instagram. Wow, Maddie, this is exciting. <laughs> this is pretty much news to me. Um, I yeah, knew sorry. something was, was being birthed, and I'm so excited to to hear about these practices. And I will be so excited to be involved and to watch everything yeah. unfurl. And 
yeah, this is exactly what um, people are asking for all over the world and especially locally here. So mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that you are stepping up, I would say, as a bodhisattva and, and mm-hmm. offering these practices for people to really heal in an authentic and true and loving way. So Maddie, thank you so much for being on the podcast and offering this very important conversation we're having today. I know that self-compassion is just going to be um, not just a remedy for people, but a a huge coping mechanism and tool and Mm -hmm. transformative process. So thank you for being here on the I Am Resilient excited to see you again sometime soon yes thank you so much you've been listening to the i am resilient podcast if you would like to get involved with i am resilient use the hashtag i am resilient to tag your stories tools and practices on your instagram facebook or Twitter. Until next time, may you be well.